Hello, friends. This is Nathan Powell. I co-host a brand new podcast called Dynasty Double Take with Dan Senio. We join the DLF family of podcasts with unique Dynasty arguments in a short 10 to 12 minute format. Dan and I love to debate Dynasty, and we hope you enjoy our banter as we discuss topics like trade offers, coaching, draft capital, and much, much more. listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast, where there is no off-season. Welcome to the latest edition of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Dan Myler, and with me for the upteenth time, uh, Ryan McDowell and Matt Price. We just spent the last half hour, guys, off-air, chatting about everything from Calvin Ridley being way too low in Ryan's ranks wow. all the way to the Cubs and the Rockies and the Yankees and A's playing in a one-game playoff. And many of us were disgusted on many different levels. Ryan, how's it going today? So we're just starting right from the beginning, huh? <laughs> yeah, let's just start this thing over and get that frustration level really high before we talk about what our listeners really want to hear about. I'm, I'm frustrated with everything, especially <laughs> you and your endless... Calvin Ridley love. <laughs> it is endless. Calvin, I love you. I know you're He's been good. What I want to see, I just said this on another show, what I want to see from Ridley, the touchdowns are awesome. No, no. What do you want to see? What is it? Is it elite route running? Because he's already given you that. No, I don't Great care Great ball that. skills? No, already doing that. Check on that one. Uh, how about dominating good corners? Oh, wait, he already does that. What else do you want from Calvin Ridley, Ryan? I want to see consistent volume from calvin ridley well that has nothing to do with calvin you're gonna have to talk to somebody else about that getting him on the field i think i saw the if i remember right it was 53 percent of snaps in week four that's not enough is that what you're saying that that is what i'm saying he was he was third on the team in receptions he was uh third on the team in targets he he had fewer targets than muhammad sanu that's a concern when he's consistently Getting more opportunity than Muhammad Sanu, I'll feel a lot better. I did start him uh, in one of my leagues this <laughs> week, and uh, some people had some comments. Tell me, who is your co-owner in that league? No, I started him in another league without, oh, okay. without right. you. Okay. I actually started him over Kareem Hunt. So Okay, so you're slowly getting on board. I am slowly getting on board, but like I said, I'll feel a lot better when he's playing ahead of Muhammad Sanu. Well, I will too, but I, I already feel like I feel a lot better than you. I, I feel better, though, knowing that you're slowly getting on board, Ryan. Fast forward one week and you'll be a lot lot more happy with uh, with my guy, Kelvin Ridley. Ron, Matt, what's up with you this week? Well, since we're piling on Ryan oh, at the top no. of the Let's show do it. Here, I thought, I thought I'm ready. I'll throw something uh, else You know, on, he on told us here. leading in. I, that he's had I just, a rough week. I just want to know, want Ryan to know if 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 he felt a little bit of sting after he traded me Amari Cooper this week, and Amari Cooper had double the fantasy points of Jarvis oh Landry, gosh. who we traded him for. Oh, uh, let's let's revisit that at the end of the year and see where we lay. <laughs> I'm great. Let's let's get this show going, right. Dan. We got we got a few things to talk. You know, I I think Ryan, it was you that tweeted. Maybe it was somebody else. We're almost a third of the way to the fantasy football playoffs. Is that gross or what? You know, we're supposed to have fun for an entire fall and then an entire winter, but it seems like it goes by way too fast. It certainly is this year. Let's get to a little bit of news, though. It seems like tight ends are going down like flies uh, at first frost in the fall. Gronk has an ankle. O.J. Howard now, he seems to be emerging. But, oh, wait, there's a knee injury. They both go down with injuries. It seems like each of them, at least with latest report, are at least questionable and most likely out for multiple weeks. It's the year of the injured tight end. What are we going to do, Ryan? Uh, I don't know. We need to start praying or something because it's it's not just it's not just Gronk and Howard, but we know the injuries prior to these guys. We saw Tyler Eifert, who looked like he was. Uh, finally emerging as uh, as a reliable uh, option again uh, and, and now he's out for the year will disley the seahawks rookie out for the year 
and that that just goes along with the the other tight ends that that have already been dealing with injuries. So I don't know. Maybe we need to wrap Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz in bubble wrap or something. It's I, I don't know the answer. Maybe maybe Jared Cook is the answer. Oh. Yeah, well, Jared Cook is an answer if he's available to you. But, we're, you know, Matt, we're looking at a dynasty waiver wire because we already lost Gronk on a roster and Ingram's down and Eifert, your third guy, is down. So we're looking at Rhett Ellison and Ryan Griffin and some guy in Cincinnati named Ozuma or something like that. We're, we're in rough shape at tight end. We are, and we, we almost – we had a scare with Kelsey oh. last night, to be honest with you, on Monday night in that fourth quarter when he hit the ground hard. I thought maybe he broke a, broke a couple of ribs. Luckily, he, he seems like he's okay, but uh, maybe we do actually need to wrap him in bubble wrap. But, yeah, I mean, at, at this point, I mean, pick a name out of a hat and they're going to be a tight end one for the week, right? Uh, C.J. Azoma, I think, is better than Croft, but who knows between those two. People that are on my fantasy league, they might remember a few years ago when for some reason C.J. Ozoma was at the top of, like, every single uh, draft uh, menu there. So uh, he's a name to remember for sure for, for multiple reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm not enthralled with this tight end market in, in Dynasty. I, you know, there's so many teams – Teams with Gronk and O.J. Howard and Ingram and, uh, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. And you're still looking for a tight end. You know, the rule is when you have Gronk, you have to have a guy to back him up because of the injury history. So you so you pile on and add two or three. And this year there's, you know, I'm just preaching to the choir here. It's ugly. Since we're, since we're here, Dan, and for you, Ryan, too, uh, I'm half joking when I say this, but is it time to just group tight ends with receivers in terms of starting position in fantasy? Well, I've wasted too much brain power on that in the past. I've I've thought that many times in the past and always come to the conclusion that you want that elite asset at the, at the fourth position, you know, and the only chance to get that is to leave those guys. So while I like flexibility in lineups and would even toy with the idea in fantasy of, of not forcing a tight end start all the time. Uh, I, I like the tight end designation and, and think that it still belongs in our game. Yeah, I do as well. I think if you were to go to something like that, uh, you would have, have to go to tight end premium just to, just to encourage the usage of, of that position in general. I think what I, I haven't actually done a league like this, but I, I've thought about it. A super flex league, or, or even a two two quarterback league with two quarterbacks required, and then eight flex spots. So just essentially group backs, receivers, and tight ends together, and and you can work out the scoring however you choose. But uh, that that would be the ultimate flexibility, and and would solve some of these problems. Follow up question: Did I make a gigantic mistake by requiring two tight ends in Red List Two? Not gigantic. I, I actually, with, <laughs> considering the injuries, it added even more of a premium at the position, right? It did. So yeah, I actually like it, and I lean towards that side of the argument. To be honest, well, this was Scott Fish and I talked about this uh, over the off season, and, and he basically it, it is strongly strongly opposes two tight end leagues and and this is one of the reasons so it is it is coming to play and whether you view that as uh, an additional challenge that makes things uh, interesting or fun or if you just think it's going too far you know I, I guess you can see it either way yeah I lean towards the fun side of that debate for sure reports say fellas that Le'Veon Bell, who is one of the Calvin Ridley running backs and or best running backs in the NFL, might report in week seven. <laughs> Shake your head, Ryan, all you want. Try that again. I'm going to mix Calvin Ridley in at least a dozen times this week. Uh, Le'Veon Bell might report in week seven. Matt, how excited should Dynasty owners be with this news? I mean, I, I think we should be excited just to hopefully see him back on the field. Uh, it is interesting uh, that it, it kind of coincides with their with the with the trade de- deadline in the NFL. So there's maybe there's a chance that that's why he's coming back that week. I don't know. I mean, but there's still the chance the Steelers could say, 
no, we're not going to deal you and we're not going to really play you that much. So uh, it's, it's a weird situation, man. I did buy him a, a couple of weeks ago for, I think it was a first, a second and two thirds, something like that. I don't think you can really buy him anymore. With this news, it probably closes that a little bit short, uh, that window a little bit, a little bit slammed shut there in terms of buying him low. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like he, if, they, if he comes back, he's going he's gonna to be Le'Veon. I think if he comes back and the Steelers play him a no, normal number of snaps, and, and I think there's an argument to be made if Connor continues, maybe not necessarily a downward trajectory, but I think we've seen the last couple of weeks that he's not Le'Veon Bell. Um, in terms of like what it's done to the total offense, it hasn't really affected the total offense much, so there's that, there's that argument there. But uh, I have to think that they believe that they are a better team with Le'Veon Bell. So I think we should be pretty excited about it. Ryan, I'm excited about Bell being on the field, but only because I'm a football fan and I want to see that guy play. He's, he's fun to watch. What do you think of the dynasty owners look at this thing? Uh, should we be jacked or should be a, we be a little bit leery because of the long-term uh consequences of him getting on the field yeah i, I think you have to be excited uh, obviously if you're a Le'Veon bell owner in a dynasty league you're even more excited but it's been a weird year at running back we've we've seen some we've seen some struggles from david johnson dalvin cook leonard fournette even kareem hunt has been up and down so some of these guys that we thought we could count on as as sure RB1s have have disappointed or at least been inconsistent. So if you've got Bell on your roster, you have to be just counting down the days until that week seven time gets here and, and just crossing your fingers that he does actually show up. Yeah, we might be set up for disappointment once again as Bell owners all over the league. Uh, this looks like an ugly situation, and I don't know if it's going to get better anytime soon, and that includes when week seven comes and goes. Let's go to Jameis Winston, who was named the starter for week six against the Falcons after the Bucks get off their bye. This news is probably more relevant for Superflex and two quarterback owners because it's unlikely that Winston makes that jump into the quarterback one realm at least instantly. Ryan, what are you, what are you expecting from Jameis Winston when he returns to the field here in a couple weeks? I'm essentially expecting what we saw last year, which is uh, high-level production. Uh, once he, you know, I guess once he gets acclimated to the offense, and and we saw reports on Sunday about the practice regimen that he was going through in his uh, during his suspension, which um, seemed pretty impressive to me. It seemed like he was putting in the work to make sure he was ready. Uh, they threw him into the game and it sure didn't look like he was ready, but that, that game was, was lost from the beginning. So almost like the Josh Rosen thing the week before that was, that was the losing spot he was thrown into. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for Winston and I do think he could get into that quarterback one conversation pretty quickly. You know, I don't think we can take a lot, like you said, from that bears game, because that thing was cooked from the beginning. We there, there's nothing you can you can see after Winston enters the game that that makes you think that that's all about Jameis Winston or or how he's going to play going forward. It seemed like more about the Buccaneers being overmatched uh, as a team against the Bears. Matt, what are your thoughts? Are, are you willing to start him in your first start? I know I have a a one quarterback league where Drew Brees is going to be on a bye. I'm going to be forced to start Jameis, but I like that matchup in Week 6 against the Falcons' defense that has given up so much to quarterbacks already this year. What do you think of him in his first week, and and how does this affect the rest of the Buccaneers' roster and those skill positions like Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, and, and those tight ends? Yeah, I mean, in a super flex, I think he goes right into your lineup in a one-quarterback. It obviously depends on who else is on your roster, but I think on most – you know, dynasty teams that have been drafted in the last couple of years, then Winston is probably the best quarterback or close to the best quarterback on your team in a one quarterback league. Uh, so I, I'm optimistic from from week 13 to week 17 last season. Jameis Winston was a quarterback one overall with 95.8 points, averaging 19.2 points a game. So uh, I'm hoping he can pick off where he left off. He, his weapons are, are great. Uh, um 
you know, Howard going out is a, is, a, is a little bit of a pain. But I think he, if Ryan Fitzpatrick can do what he did on those games, I think Winston can be okay. Maybe not to the level of, of you know, the five-touchdown game and 500 yards passing in three straight games or whatever it was from from uh, Fitzpatrick. But I, I'm confident he will be a high-end quarterback, too, at, at a minimum. And, and like Ryan said, you know, I think he can get back to quarterback one status pretty easily with that talent around him. You know, him. as a Winston owner in places – I'm glad what happened did happen as soon as it did with Fitzpatrick because we were all waiting for Winston to get on the field and get his chance again, grab hold of that job. I'm glad it happened sooner rather than later. Let's move on to Mark Ingram, who apparently was waiting for the Saints at the airport when they flew back to New Orleans. He's back, but there's a lot of question marks surrounding what his role is going to be. Uh, there's already one running back in that backfield that's taken up a lot of the workload and has looked darn good doing it. What do we think, Matt, of Mark Ingram's floor? And what do we think of his ceiling going forward now that he's back in New Orleans? I think he's he's a running back, too, the rest of the season, honestly. I mean, he, I think he's going to have some running back one games. Uh, I, I I love Kamar and what he's done so far, but I really think if we keep giving him 30-plus touches a game that – you know he's not going to last so long. I know he's not a tiny guy, um, but uh, I th- I think they do operate best with that two back system there. Whether it's just Ingram taking those really tough, grueling carries between the tackles on on early downs or at the goal line or in short yardage situations, whatever it is, uh, I, ju- I just think it's going to be good for for Kamara long term and, and will probably help his efficiency as well to come back up and be able to play off of each other just like they did last season. Um, the, the the loser here honestly might be Drew Brees. I mean, the Drew Brees has looked great this season, much better than I mean, he didn't look bad last season. Don't get me wrong, uh, but they went to a heavier run based attack and it worked so well for them. You know, if it goes back to that again this season, it becomes those two running backs and Michael Thomas again, really in, in the offensive game plan. So uh, Brees is the one I think would I'd be looking for maybe a little bit of a downturn compared to what he's done the first few weeks of the season. Ryan, what do you think about that backfield in New Orleans? Is is Ingram going to return to that RB2 status that we're so used to seeing as fantasy owners, or do we have to wait for that kind of production? Yeah, I think so. And I think Matt made a really good point with, with Breeze and his production and just the way that offense has looked in general this year. We've seen them passing a lot more than they did last year. And uh, at this point, we don't know if that's the design because Ingram was out or if that's, if that was just the plan all along that, that they would kind of return to that and, and make use of make use of those elite pass catchers that they have. Uh, we'll find out quickly. I, I do think Ingram is, is being undervalued at this point. I think he's uh, at least a safe RB three flex option. Uh, certainly with some upside beyond that. Uh, but at the same time, we've, we've seen the, the saints essentially give up on, on these players who have off field issues. So going back to your floor and ceiling question, I think his floor is, is very low. And if we had seen any of these guys, Terrence West or, or uh, Jonathan Williams, Boston Scott, you know, if we had seen any of those guys show any life, I would be really worried about Ingram. You know, one thing I learned from this whole process with Ingram, and we haven't seen, how he's going to respond once he gets back into the huddle and and onto the field for the Saints. But it seems to me that there's a little bit of a discount with with these suspended players, and maybe it's different for Ingram than other players. I don't know. I haven't really tracked it. But it seems like I was able to get Ingram at a discount in startups. Uh, Ryan and I did a couple of startups this year, and, and we landed Ingram in one of the auctions because it seemed like he was just so cheap. And I was able to trade for him in a couple spots, Ryan. It seems like that, that discount is is such a good thing because not only do you get the player, but you it, it's almost like the player is lost to injury for a couple of weeks. And it comes at the beginning of the season. There aren't any buys or injuries for the most part to deal with. And you know when he's coming back and you know that he's healthy. It seems, Ryan, to me that these suspended players in Dynasty specifically give a little bit of a discount, especially to guys that have other baggage associated with them. Ingram, of course, with Kamara and the rest of that offense. And, 
you know, I'm just wondering if that's going to hold true for most of these, or if not all of these suspended players going forward. Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's some concern with, with Ingram and with Julian Edelman coming back, uh, both suspended for PEDs. There was someone this off season who had done a, a study and I, I believe it was Evan Silva, but I'm not sure, but it was referenced that essentially players who are suspended for PEDs, once they come back, they never reach that level of production again. And, and maybe that has to do with most of them being older players in general, trying to, you know, trying to hang on or, or whatever the case might be. There's some other factors going into that, but th- that's another reason to be concerned uh, just about his level of production going forward. The one, the one there that sticks out to me, and this is going way back and it's not even on the offensive side of the ball, but the one that sticks out to me is Sean Merriman. Yeah. Remember how dominant that guy was? Spent it for PEDs, came back and like was just not a shell of himself the rest of his career. But uh, certainly a concern going forward. Also, Ingram, 28, going to be 29 next year, and an unrestricted free agent. I kind of doubt he's going to be back in New Orleans, at least at a, at a contract that he wants. So I, I do think you're taking a little bit of a chance buying him if you have – designs on him being productive for you for more than just this season yeah it's it's an interesting case study for sure and something i'll be keeping an eye on going forward i i lean towards the side that says ingram will return to his running back to numbers and production that we've kind of come accustomed to uh we'll see if that actually comes true uh on the field when once he returns here coming up in week five let's move on to a couple of rookies we We've been talking about the rookie report card that I write each week for DLF. And this week I covered Naheem Hines and Nick Chubb, a couple of running backs, rookie ball carriers. And they're both kind of on each end of the spectrum. Both of them caught or scored a couple of touchdowns, Matt. Naheem Hines is an interesting case study for me, for sure. I've I tried to get on board the whole Naheem Hines train in the offseason. I heard all these dynasty minds, these guys I respect and, and guys I look to for opinions, all get on this Naheem Hines bandwagon. And I, I just couldn't do it. Every time I watched him, I, I saw a, t- a small guy that looked quick and fast and explosive, but I didn't see it translating to the NFL, at least consistently. Uh, he sure had a big game in week four, Four carries for just 10 yards, but nine catches for 63 and two receiving touchdowns on 11 targets. He made an impact. Matt, were you impressed with what Himes did? And is this a sign of things to come for Naheem Hines and the Colts going forward? I was. I, I just think there's nothing else there right now. So he's, I mean, he's what they want to do on offense. Uh, you know, they're throwing a ball around a lot. We made a lot of stink about Andrew Luck's arm and not being powerful. So the short passing game kind of uh, uh, takes advantage of Naheem Hines' skill set. He was in at 69% of the snaps this week. Last week, I think it was around hovering around 74%, something like that. So until Marlon, back is back, Marlon Mack is back and healthy, I think it is going to be Hines in there most of the time. So uh, like you said, he hasn't been too impressive as a runner, but uh, as a receiver, he's been excellent. That's kind of what we thought coming out of the draft as well. Uh, we did get kind of a little bit psyched out by the Colts and the way they were treating Hines in the in, in the preseason and the offseason. He had a, had a couple of fumbles early on in the, the process and, and kind of got what we, what we thought was the doghouse. And then we come out in week one and, and Hines is, is, is really their go-to back at this point. Um, so yeah, I'm impressed with him. I'm, I'm a little bit leery of his value once Matt comes back, but I think even when that happens, he's still the best pass catcher. So if they're in these, these shootouts, like we've had all, all season, and that's going to be the norm for 2018, then Hines is probably going to be the back that that's going to be in there, you know, at least half of the time I would, I would, I would guess. It seems to me that everything Hines does well, Mac does well as well. You, you said you're... I don't know about that. I don't think Max is good a receiver as, as, as Hines is. Not even close. Not even close? I don't think even close, Man, honestly. It, you know, that was the thing that I was clinging to a year ago when Mac was a rookie, Ryan. Uh, I, I, I saw that pass-catching skill to go along with everything I was excited about of him coming out of college. I, I saw what I wanted to see, really, of Mac. And Matt says, until Marlon Mack is back. We're waiting for the return of the Mac here. When when Mac is back on the field, Ryan, <laughs> is is that's Naheem worse than Hines, Calvin Ridley talk? 
Oh, man. Come on. That's good stuff. Uh, when Max back, is Naheem Hines still as valuable in Dynasty? I, I, I don't know. I'm worried uh, how they're going to use Hines. It's a very small sample size. We've got one healthy game from Marlon Mack this year. In that game, Naheem Hines had one target. In the other three games, he's averaging over eight targets a game. And I think what what we know Hines does better than, than Mack at this point is stays on the field, right? I mean, Mack's missed three out of four games with two different injuries. And you, you just wonder how long the Colts are going to view him as their starting running back uh, or how much longer uh, because he's not – He's not a special talent himself. Uh, I'm still not sure any of these guys are really the long-term answer. If I'm picking one, I want Hines, uh, but I'm not. I'm not super excited about any of them. Let's get Le'Veon Bell in Indianapolis. Yeah, that, let's well, do that. That's, that's where everybody wants to place him, and it, it certainly makes sense. You know, you know, Ryan, you said you're you're cons- you're concerned for Mac and his injury and, and how he's piled up a couple of injuries here early in the season. But just because I'm concerned about Mac, that I think dynasty owners regularly translate that concern into love or, or feelings of, of future production for the other option. And that other option is Naheem Hines right now. I, I don't feel that way. It doesn't translate over just because Mac is hurt and, and the injuries are kind of piling up for him. I feel like Mac fills the role of what the Colts are going to do, but because he's missing and because I'm concerned about his injury history, doesn't mean I'm going to instantly think the same of Hines. I, I, I see what I see from Hines and I have since I watched him play at NC state. He he's, intriguing for sure the the quickness the speed the pass catching are all things i like but you know to see dynasty owners and and fantasy writers out there compare him to Tariq cohen and and darren sproles and you know we've heard the list go on and on I, I think it's premature for sure and i feel honestly that this is the opportunity to get your investment back on heinz because i, I think this is the best we've seen the best from Hines, and it's four carries for 10 yards, and hopefully it's a passing game for the Colts. With that, let's move on to another rookie running back, Nick Chubb. Three carries, guys. Ryan, three carries, really? 105 yards and two touchdowns. Ten touches so far in four games as a rookie. Carlos Hyde has 87 touches. Man, it's discouraging as a, as a Chubb owner. He hasn't had more than three touches in the game. What is going on with Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde and this this Cleveland coaching staff? Yeah, well, that's it. It's the Cleveland coaching staff that we can't trust to do anything right. Honestly, I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't see Baker Mayfield on the field yet if it weren't for for the injury to Tyrod Taylor. So uh, I don't get it. Maybe even more egregious than the ten touches is. That Chubb has only played 15 snaps through four games, only only on the field for 15 snaps. Uh, so I guess what we can take away is that if he's on the field, he's probably touching the ball. That's that's the good sign. But uh, it it should be it, those numbers should be much higher by this point. Uh, Hyde has been fine, but that's it. Um, so whether it's uh, allegiance to to veterans or whatever the case may be i don't know we have heard from hugh jackson that um that he wants to get chubb more touches i, I guess the the silver lining here is that maybe it's giving us as dynasty owners a little bit more of a window to buy chubb but i think everybody's kind of catching on and and knows it's only a matter of time yeah i think that's the lesson here is that dynasty owners need to be patient, right, Matt? I guess. <laughs> I, my The hope I had for Chubb this year is that it was going to be a, kind of a scenario like we experienced with Minnesota last year. They brought in the veteran Latavius Murray. They drafted the rookie Dalvin Cook. We learned that Dalvin is way better than Latavius Murray. And it was Murray's show until he got uh, – sorry, uh, Dalvin Cook's show until he got hurt. And I was really hoping the same for Chubb, but we just haven't seen that so far. Like Ryan said, Hyde's been fine. I mean, he actually has five touchdowns this season already on the ground, um, only four catches for 15 
15 yards. So he's not really contributing in, in that aspect of the game. But what we saw from Chubb, I mean, I just don't know how you can't want to have that guy on the field more. Not that he's going to have three carries for 105 yards every game, but to have a back like that that can can change directions without really losing any speed, but take advantage of what that offensive line is doing right now. Uh, Hyde isn't. It, 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 we go back to the, was it the jo- Joseph Randall that Joseph Randall it said that Demarco Murray is just leaving too much meat on the bone. Uh, I think Carlos Hyde, Ka- Carlos Hyde is probably leaving too much meat on the bone here, and Chubb can probably take advantage of that if we could get him in the yeah, game. Yeah, what was so impressive about what Nick Chubb da- did in in Week Four was that he was pulling away from safeties, and that wasn't necessarily a strength of his in college. Sure, he ran away from people, but he wasn't running away from NFL caliber defensive backs in, in college all the time. And, you know, there were question marks surrounding that that breakaway speed and, and all those things. He's shown that he can do that, and he showed it in spades in week four. I hope to see a lot more of Nick Chubb going forward. And Dynasty owners, if you get a chance to buy Chubb right now, it, it's time because he's going to get his chance at some point this week. Fellas, last week we introduced a new segment to the show, and this week we're going to properly name it, I guess. We're going to call it Twitter Takes. I went to Twitter during NFL games on Sunday to see Dynasty-related statements, uh, most of which came off Twitter. And I, I want to know if you agree or disagree with these statements. We'll go by position and start again with quarterback. We all know Mitch Trubisky had that big game, Matt, in Week 4, 19 of 26, 354 yards and six touchdowns, including five in the first half. Wow, he looked good. So, this is what we can expect for Dynasty owners, right? <laughs> I'm going to say no. Oh, uh, is that a disagree, Matt? <laughs> that's a complete disagree. Uh, I, I, don't get me wrong. He looked good. Um, but this is I, – I, I, who could have predicted this, honestly? Chicago had four offensive touchdowns in their first three weeks, and then he comes out and throws six of them. Uh, this game, I will say that the the touchdown throw to uh, to Allen Robinson in the corner in the end zone there that was a really nice throw. But I think three of his touchdowns were just on complete bl- blown coverages play, including that first one to to uh, t- to Trey Burton when the defender just fell down. So uh, there was another one where he had a quick little shovel pass to Taylor Gabriel, um, a really easy throw to Tariq Cohen over the middle right at the end zone. So I don't want to take anything away from from Mitchell at this point, but. If you dig into the film a little bit, I think uh, you would have seen some other passes, three or four of them I saw that were just way off the mark. Um, I know I'm being nitpicky here at this point, and we should give him the credit for that first game, but I'm not I'm not ready to anoint him uh, the Jared Goff of, of his second season like we saw from Goff last year. So uh, not for me yet, uh, but definitely encouraging. I think all of us are going to give him credit for that, right, Ryan? We're, we're going to... We're gonna say, yeah, good job, but we're not expecting that going forward. This is this is probably the best game of Mitchell Trubisky's career, even if he ends up being a regular Pro Bowler. Yeah, yeah, it it totally totally will be, uh, at least from a touchdown perspective. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can even expect half of half of those numbers in a typical game. Uh, I didn't move Trubisky at all in my rankings based on this. And uh, maybe I would, if you get to play the Buccaneers defense every week, <laughs> but since that's not happening, uh, it was, I'm going to chalk it up to one good game and that's about it. Let's move on to Russell Wilson. I'm paraphrasing this tweet uh, because there were a few expletives in it, but Russell Wilson owners, Ryan better get used to disappointment because without weapons or an offensive line, he's bound to have some down week. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, maybe not just some down weeks, maybe a lot of down weeks. Um, we already know the, the situation in, in Seattle. They, they did finally get Doug Baldwin back, which will help. Uh, but I don't have confidence in their offensive line. I don't have confidence in their running game. And, and Wilson himself is not running like he used to, which is uh, stealing some fantasy points away from uh, from the bottom line. So I think it's very fair to be moving Russell Wilson down your dynasty ranks as we're we're seeing Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff and Deshaun Watson and guys like this continue to put up big numbers. Uh, Wilson is not a top five dynasty quarterback. 
That's that's pretty strong. Uh, I I will agree with the statement that we might have some disappointing games, but I don't think we're gonna be. I don't think we're going to be disappointed with the entirety of this 2018 season. I'll say that. I don't really know what what really much has changed since last year. In fact, most people said the line has gotten better since last year. Uh, the running back is still running backs are still a mess. I, I guess uh, Baldwin missing time has, has has been different for him. So I'm still confident that Russ is going to be uh, be just fine for dynasty and for redraft going forward. Uh, a couple of duds in there for sure. I, I, you know he play they play in a very difficult division. I'm sure we're going to see one uh, against the Rams coming up here. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm still I'm still on board with Russ as a top five asset and top five quarterback asset in dynasty. So do you have him above Jared Goff? I believe I currently do, yes, but I, have, I, I need an update. Yeah, I sure. think Goff is really probably the key to whether you keep Wilson in your top five. Uh, you know, Mahomes, Rodgers, Wentz, Watson, Wilson, those, those are probably the typical top five. Yeah. But I think it's certainly fair to consider Goff there or Cam Newton there. Uh, I know some people like Kirk Cousins in the top five as well. I, I can certainly get on board with Goff being above Wilson, but those other names you mentioned, I, I have a hard time getting on board with that for sure. Well, if it, if Goff is above him, then he's out of the top five, essentially. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. And And I think it's fair to move him down at least until that offensive line is addressed in Seattle because it's a mess if you watch a Seattle Seahawks game you kind of feel bad for Russell Wilson he has to be the entire offense and even Superman can't do that all the time at least but but what's changed from that regard since Lynch well, I, I think the weapons have changed right I mean like who who like other than Baldwin being other than Baldwin being those first. secondary threats in the passing game and the running game for that matter, are gone. We've we've seen Jimmy Graham leave there. Uh, Other receivers have gone on to get big contracts, and and maybe you can say they disappointed in their their new homes, but they were playing a role as that that next guy in line and that for sure that deep threat. And You can say what you want about Tyler Lockett, but he's apparently not doing the same thing that that those other guys like Richardson and, and others have. I, th- I think let's give Baldwin a few weeks to get healthy and let's see see what for happens. For sure. I think that's where I'm at with him. Because I, I agree that Graham is maybe a big loss, but really only in the red zone. We've seen that he can't really move, isn't really a, a threat for anything yards after the catch-wise. Paul Richardson was a, is a nice player, has, has had one good game with Washington, and I'm, I'm sure opened up things a little bit deep for for Russell and Wilson in, uh, in Seattle. But, you know, Flockett's going to do similar things. I, I think with a healthy Baldwin and a, and a healthy uh, Tyler Lockett, then then it'll be all right. I don't think any of us are are saying go out there and sell Russell Wilson right now, but there's certainly reason for concern going forward. And, and uh, you know, we all hope that, that he gets those weapons back and they finally address that offensive line so he doesn't have to be the guy on every play every single week. Let's move on to running back, guys. Matt, we'll start right back up with you again. James Conner owners should have sold him after that 30-point-plus outburst in the opening week of the NFL season. He is not Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> I, I I guess I agree with this because, I, I mean, I think it depends on roster construction. I definitely sold him in one spot for a first and a second round pick, which I thought was was pretty fair value. I, I don't think right now, if you still want to buy him, that you have to add that second in there. You can probably get him from one first if you still want to do that. But in terms of this, the, the, the last part of that statement, he's not Le'Veon Bell. I, I think we've seen that the last two weeks but, for sure. For the record, you agree that owners should have sold him after week one. Yes, but if I'm a if I'm a competing team and I and I have no running backs or I need of that last piece, and I could see still buying Connor because I think he is going to be he's going to be a running back too at least for the rest of the season, and he's going to have a, a big game here and there as well. I just don't think that we can ever count on him to consistently put up those 20, 25, 30 point games like Le'Veon has. Yeah, I, I totally agree and. I mean, I suggested selling him after week one and after week two, and and I I stand behind that. I actually bought him after week two, but the the price is much different than uh, some of the sell highs that that were kind of floating around Twitter or around DLF message boards that that I saw. I didn't have to pay a first rounder and and wouldn't have paid a first rounder uh, then or now, but. 
there's a good chance when you're talking about a, a nearly a 200-yard game and two touchdowns, like we said with Trubisky, there's there's a decent chance that's the best game of a player's career. And so, yeah, you should have sold after week one. I agree. It was, it was The selling window is slowly closing with James Conner. And if you're a Conner owner, you're just hoping for one more game like that coming up in week five or, or, or sh- really shortly at least to get another another window that big as it was in week one. Ryan, all that scoring for the Chicago Bears offense and Jordan Howard lays an egg with 11 carries for 25 yards and no touchdowns, no catches. I am worried. I'm a little worried, uh, and I'm a little confused, honestly, about the way they used him because we saw we saw Tariq Cohen not only get some targets and some catches, but uh, uh, more carries. I, I believe more carries than Jordan Howard got. So I, I just I don't get it either. After Trubisky had the five touchdowns at halftime and they had built such a big lead, I expected that second half to be dominated by Jordan Howard, and and that was not the case. So uh, maybe it was just a case of, of wanting to get Cohen going a little bit and, and using that game to do it. Uh, I, I, I'm not totally giving up on, on Howard by any means, but I think we can pretty much give up on him as uh, a PPR threat or as a pass catcher. His targets have decreased every every game this season, and – and Cohen's on the other side or on the other end is is increasing that part of his role. So uh, definitely worried about him as as a pass catcher, which we we should have been all along. That that narrative should not have been, uh, you know, believed. I guess or put much stock into. Yeah, I'm I'm with Ryan here. Uh, I'm I, actually maybe even a little bit more extreme. I'm a little I think I feel like I'm a little bit more worried about him than Ryan was. We've kind of had this roller coaster with Jordan Howard where earlier in the off season we felt terrible about him. He's not a pass catcher. Tree Cohen's going to get all the pass catchers uh, receptions in this new offense. And then you know the bunch of statements were released that Howard's the three down guy, even though that sometimes he might not be used like that. And maybe this is the game where you know it's the maybe we won't use him like this, but. In a game when they're up 38 to 3, I mean, what better time is there to put in Jordan Howard, the 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 tugboat, the 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 bulldozer of the offense or whatever. I mean, what more do you need to see from 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 a game script to to get a guy like that in there? So, um it, it appeared to me like Cohen is better in all facets of the game at this point. At least at least in terms of week four, Cohen is better in all facets of the game uh, ahead of Jordan Howard, even even running the ball. He was certainly more productive in this game. I know they're not going to play Tampa every single week, but uh, it seems like that offense took off. You know, as much as it was Mitchell Trubisky with those six touchdowns and 350 passing yards, Tariq Cohen was in there causing havoc, even in plays where he wasn't the focus of the offense. You could see the, dif- the defense uh, shifting coverage towards him, shifting defensive players towards his direction. So him in there, even when he's not the one who's getting the ball, like he, he, they have to game plan for him, and it's difficult to do with a player that can do everything like that. Whereas when Jordan Howard's in the game, you know exactly what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, this is very concerning for me going forward. I agree with you guys. It, it's telling. The biggest thing Dynasty owners should take from that game is that when when they had that big lead, Howard wasn't on the field and wasn't getting those carries when he should be milking that clock and, and, and getting rid of everything that you know Dynasty were, owners were concerned about. At least he was the hammer. He, he was the guy that could, could end the game. He was the closer. And that wasn't the case in week four. So like you guys, I'm concerned. I'm worried. Let's move on to Calvin Ridley's position, wide receiver. We'll start with the Rams' top three <laughs> wide receivers. They are all top 36 <laughs> options, Matt, every single week. Cooks, he had seven for 116 and a touchdown. Woods, five for 101 and a score. And your guy, Cooper Cup, nine catches, 162 yards, and two touchdowns. Are they all top 36 options every week? Dan, my pants were off at half <laughs> last week for that Rams game. <laughs> no, uh, I I agree with this statement, and I, I think you have to start all three of these guys every single week, even if you own own two of them, even if you own three of them. I mean, this offense is clicking on all cylinders. 
uh, all the standard cliches. I mean, I, I don't know what else you want to see from all of these guys. Sure, sure, one week Cooks may have a huge game and Cups might put up a three for 40 uh, and the same thing for Woods. But uh, I, I think the potential for them is there to have these kinds of game, all three of them, every single week. Uh, I do think specifically this past week that, that Coop was, uh, Cooper Cup was made as a, a focal point in the offense. They really liked the mismatch they could get there on, on uh, Anthony Barr, who's had a little bit of a rough season for Minnesota, honestly. Um, so I don't necessarily think you're going to see Cup as like the, the central part of the game plan every single week going forward, but I think he has this kind of upside in him almost every single week. Ryan, do you agree? Top 36? Yeah, I don't I don't think this is even an extreme statement, honestly. Uh, I was looking at their scoring. They've essentially had 12 opportunities, right? 12 games played between the three of them. And they only have two games outside of the top 36. Cooper Cup was wide receiver 44 in week two. Robert Woods was wide receiver 54 in week one. Beyond that, they've been within the top 36 uh, the other 10 times. So uh, with uh, with four of those being in the top 10, I don't I don't think that's even a question easily. Jeez, maybe, maybe I should have screened these tweets a little bit more and did a little bit more digging before I brought it up. Cause, <laughs> Cause you made me look silly there. I should have said 24. That was a legit tweet. Somebody said that. No, that's, that's becoming a p- common occurrence on. This oh podcast, man. <sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think uh, you, there was a lot of talk after that game about comparing that trio to, uh, others around the league, and then and then it became a historical, you know, commentary that somebody wanted to say these this is the best trio of wide receivers in NFL history, which is obviously, I mean that's that's just crazy. It it wasn't that long ago before we were trying to decide if this was the best group in the NFL currently. So I, I think that's. Uh, it got a little out of hand pretty quickly, but uh, the way the Rams' offense is is playing right now, you you can't sit any of those. Yeah, I agree. It's it's hard to sit any of them, and and top thirty six. Now that you say it, that that's pretty easy to put them all in there for sure going forward. Let's move on to a wide receiver that that I was buying. I think Matt, you were as well in the off season. John Brown. He has at least thirteen fantasy points in each game this season, and already has three touchdowns. Ryan, his current Dynasty ADP of 155 will be cut in half by September of 2019. That's an interesting one because... Ah, this is one I made up. This one didn't come off a top. I I could tell tell it was, actually. (laughs) Um, I think maybe the better statement would be his ADP will be cut in half by next month by our october data we're collecting that now if you want to look a year out i I actually feel better projecting brown from month to month rather than a year out Uh, really because i feel like it's better to do it by the year because it's so up and down with him considering his injury history and and everything that goes along with it we really want to see consistency out of out of any player especially receivers right well, it's it's that same injury history that makes me feel more comfortable saying, yeah, in, in over the next month, I've seen okay. the, I've seen the role he's playing. He seems healthy now. Maybe this maybe the, the sickle cell trait is is not an issue for him anymore or maybe it's um you know, maybe it's gotten better. I don't I don't know the the terminology there, but those the, all those same issues make me a little less certain to go a year out. Now, I will tell you a, a little peek behind the curtain here john brown's october dynasty adp is 97 so a big jump for him not quite to uh not quite cut in half from the 155 number but uh a a big jump he's in inside the top 100 now that's interesting because i was going to say maybe not cut in half but inside the top 100 certainly again though barring any of these past injury history of of john brown showing up again i've loved the player we've seen he can be a wide receiver a one at least uh, on a week-to-week basis uh, um, production wise um so i'm confident in him as a player it's just just all that health stuff that we're already are always an issue for john brown and like ryan said i'd be more comfortable month to month or even even week to week with him uh just just based on what we've seen from him from the injury standpoint so i'm on board uh 
top 100 player from from here on out until until he's injured anyway. Yeah, I, you know, I brought that one up because, like I said, what really matters is consistency, and dynasty owners want to know. Is this a flash in the pan? Should I should I be selling because of this jump in ADP or not? I'm 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 gonna side on the side of the argument, Ryan, that you mentioned that maybe getting away from Arizona and everything associated with that will get him away from those sickle cell traits and all those things that we read about over the last few years, and and now we can count on him being on the field a little bit more, which is really what matters. Seems like in Arizona, uh, it was just something different every every week almost with him uh and and dynasty owners really gave up on him he he fell outside of the top 200 in our offseason adp even after uh he had gotten out of arizona so uh it, it's really great to see him bounce back like this yeah and we were buying him as a wide receiver six or seven and and now we're able to plug him in it feels like to me in the in the with the teams that i have that Man, if you can plug him in as, as a flex, a wide receiver four, you feel really good about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I don't know what you guys think, but uh, comparing him to Crabtree, it's like night and day. It's almost like Crabtree has, has lost a little bit and Brown has is, is kind of taken over there. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do going forward. I think he is the wide receiver one in that offense. Uh, Crabtree might certainly still have more touchdowns at the end of the year, you know, in terms of red zone uses and things like that. But I think it's it's uh, it's all systems go for John Brown as the lead receiver there. Hmm. Good stuff for sure. I, I don't remember who tweeted this, but it's something worth, worth mentioning for sure. Uh, we're about a week away from a Julio versus Ridley dynasty poll. <laughs> Ryan, if that poll popped up on Twitter, which side are you taking? Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm okay. So I'm still obviously on the Julio side as we all should be, but there was, there was a push and there was a Twitter poll out there. Who would you rather have for the rest of the season in, in a redraft league? And, your boy Calvin Ridley was holding his own, which is which is insane. Yeah, that's that's a little strong for even me. You know, I've been championing Calvin Ridley all year, and and I want Julio for this year. But but I'm getting so close to them being even in Dynasty, Ryan. Are you serious? I am serious. Oh, it, is, it is getting real close. You look at the age. Like, if I can get something thrown in that is valuable, that I can use, I'm making the swap. I, I just I just had a similar conversation with our buddy Curtis Patrick on, on the Dynasty Blueprint. What's Curtis say? Well, the, the scenario we discussed was Julio Jones versus Calvin Ridley and a first-round pick. Oh, I'm taking that deal. We all easily sided with Julio Jones. Oh, I'm taking Gimme Ridley. Okay. So I'm going to, just as when you told us a few weeks ago that you would buy Jimmy Graham for a first round pick, I challenged you. All right. For our (laughs) listeners here, let me paint the picture. So I did say that. And I did get offered from a listener, Jimmy Graham, for a first round pick. And I have to send my first. And you made the deal. And I looked at it closely. I knew it was a listener, by the way. And I, I shook my head as I declined it. And I... I tried to put the politest notes I could that that I actually said if if I was a true contender, I feel like it's the 11th or 12th pick and that's the guy that gets me over the top. I'm I'm taking Graham for a first. I didn't feel like that team was in position in that position. Now, we've seen two more weeks of data from Graham since then and yes, he caught a touchdown. I'm still I'm I'm a little nervous doing that now, but I, I feel confident if I can get a first along with Calvin Ridley for Julio, I'm doing that deal. I would just, I would send you the same send challenge. Send me that offer, Ryan. I, I wish, I wish I could. Uh, I already got Ridley. I in wish all there were leagues that were. I wish there was a league where you owned Julio and did not, or I guess I say I wish there was a league where you didn't own. Well, Ridley. there are leagues that so. I don't own Ridley. You know, Devi leagues where people were in on him before he was went to college. <laughs> Because I had him as a freshman. Oh, my goodness. Dan, do you know how many points right now, how many more points Julio has than than uh, Calvin Ridley on the season? Oh, I, I would be surprised if he had more. I, I think Ridley easily has more. Julio has him 80.3 to 78.7. Really? But, again, you know, t- touchdowns. So, 
Yeah. That's the thing is once those if, – if we, if we didn't have – was it six – five touchdowns? Six touchdowns on the season now from, from Ridley? Yeah, but we are, we are only that Atlanta coaching staff realizing that they have an elite weapon away from, from him completely taking over. And I guess I, – I, that might be a little strong. Not completely taking over. He is benefiting also from Julio taking the top corner and, and Julio getting that double coverage and things like that. But if Ridley – could be on the field for 80-plus percent of the snaps. I, I really think we'd see his numbers multiply as well. I mean, right now, honestly, Mohamed Sanu is out-targeting Ridley. Right, and but that's exactly. a thing, not a skill thing. That's the concern. Yeah, but that's why I'm not sending him in a first. I'm not, ta- I'm not sending Julio away for him in a first is what I'm saying. Mm. All right, let's talk tight ends. Give me the deal. Send me the offer. Let's I'm, move I'm, on. Snap accept. I don't care what my here. team looks like. No tight end. Let's do it. Eric Ebron listeners. has. No, I want to hear listeners. I want to hear listeners. Someone make that offer to Dan. Please make it. I only own Julio in one league, so <laughs> I don't think I have Ridley in that one. So maybe it could happen. Eric Ebron, Matt, has 17 catches for 150 yards and three touchdowns on 30 targets through four weeks. Considering the injuries at tight end, he's going to finish 2018 as a tight end one. I mean, I guess, <laughs> considering how terrible tight ends is. But that's a, the big but here is before Doyle went out with this injury, he was still getting more targets than Eric Ebron was. So if Doyle comes back healthy, I, I really think it's it, he's the guy to target in this offense over Ebron. Um, but it, I know it doesn't look like it right now, but I really think that he's the, the tight end to have uh, once he's healthy. I mean, it's possible that both of these guys finish as a tight end one, honestly, especially now we have this. Uh, it's probably not too bad, but this, this T.Y. Hilton injury, I mean, there's just no weapons there for Luck to throw to outside of those guys. So I could see both both of those tight ends finishing as a tight end one this season. Ryan, I'm a fan of Doyle as well. I've kind of flipped from the Ebron thing in the off season to the Doyle thing in the preseason. And I, I tend to side uh, with Doyle on this and, and Matt, I guess, with this. I want Doyle of these two. Is Ebron going to be a tight end one? I think he is. Uh, he, he's the one getting the looks in the red zone uh, and, and getting the targets uh, further Wait down. Wait a second, Ryan. So touchdowns matter in fantasy? I, I, think, I think they might. So like six touchdowns in three weeks, that'd be a big deal, right? For a tight end, that would be great. <laughs> I quit. I quit. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, it, as as the question mentioned, it's it's just a matter of all these injuries that we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, we just need we just need healthy bodies. So, Eric Ebron, Trey Burton, George Kittle, uh, these are guys that are going to see their value increase and their their fantasy rank increase as their uh, just as they're able to stay on the field. We have one more tight end statement to agree or disagree with. Vance McDonald, Ryan, was a big part of the Steelers' offense for the second straight week. He has tight end one upside for the rest of the year. Yeah, to- totally agree, and, and pretty much the same situation. Uh, that Steelers' defense is a disaster right now. It's becoming kind of a similar situation, I guess, what we're seeing in in Kansas City with the the great offense and the poor uh, the poor defense that they're going to give up a lot of points and therefore have to score a lot of points and throw the ball a lot. So absolutely tied in one upside for Vance. Completely agree, Ryan. Quickly before we get to Matt, these are the kind of guys that dynasty owners are looking at to try to trade for because they've had the injuries to the rest of the position. Ebron and McDonald, I'm talking about. Right. What are we giving up for these kind of guys to fill in while we have injury problems at the position if you're contending? I think this time of year, you're going to have to give up a second-round pick, which kind of hurts. Uh, you know, Those are certainly not players you would target in the offseason for a second-rounder, and, and we can uh, – I mentioned Jared Cook earlier. We can throw him into that conversation as well. You know, if you're a contender and you've lost, you've lost one of these guys, even if it's Ingram or OJ Howard for a month, you can't go a month starting Charles Clay or Ricky Seals Jones or somebody like that. You need some production, and and I, I don't think you're getting them for less than a second. 
Matt, what are your thoughts on McDonald? And then also the trade question. What are you giving up? I echo you guys' thoughts. I, I think you pull a name out of a hat at tight end, and they have a chance to be a back-end tight end one this season. Um, and, yeah, you're going to have to give up a second. No one's going to sell one of these starters for a third, and <laughs> you're not going to pay a first for any of them, that's for sure. So I think it has to be a second-round pick. Hopefully you're a contender, so it's going to be the 212, right? Um, and it won't look so bad after we're done here, but I don't think you're getting any of these guys for, for, for less than I that. I think the biggest thing that Ryan said, especially there, is, is that if you're a true contender, you can't go a month sliding in some name that you're picking up off the scrap heap today. There, there's, it's, it's a bad situation, and if you get the chance to fix it and get a guy who's scoring double-digit points regularly right now and slide him into your lineup, it's, it's a do thing. It's, it's something that you want to go ahead and make happen. And like, It's so hard in Dynasty, right? I mean, in, in redraft, you can just stream tight ends for days, right, and not even worry about it. But in, in Dynasty, you just if you're in a league that's 24-plus roster spots, like there, there's just nobody out there, like not, literally nothing. I don't know how many times I saw Rhett Ellison get picked up last week. Like I'm pretty sure it happened in every single league. That's how bad it is. Yeah. I don't want to start Red Ellison on a contender. Give me Vance McDonald or Eric Ebron. I know, I know, we're about to run overtime, but what about Brayton, you guys, with with uh, with OJ Howard out? Like, I, I mean, I, I want to sell him based on that because I feel like it's a good time to sell yeah, him. Yeah, but if you're selling, you're not taking a third for him. You're, you want a second for him, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so he's kind of heaped in. Give me Jared Cook over over him. I guess it's a mess. Easily. If you guys figure Easily. it out before before we do, let us know. You can tweet us at DLF Podcast. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Thanks for listening. For Ryan and Matt, I'm Dan. We'll catch you again next week.